Let me just pray, and and then uh, we'll go into the scriptures. Thank you, Father. Lord, as we look at your word in the Bible, we pray you'd speak to us. Father, we pray that you'd bring glory to your name and help me to speak clearly the truth of scripture. I pray that there would be hearts receptive to you, that there would be unction in the pulpit and action in the pew, that people would receive with meekness the word of God that is able to save them. Amen. So we're journeying through 1 Corinthians, and I'm intentionally doing something a bit new, taking time to miss every, uh, go, not miss any word or phrase, but to do it verse by verse, section by section. And I think the challenge of that for a preacher is that you can't avoid stuff. And today's message is a bit like that because in essence, it's, forgive me for using this word, but I need to, it's paradoxical. What do I mean by that? It's got this um, contradictory sense of it being incredibly complex and just darn simple. Thankfully, the darn simple is, is something that we can all engage with. But I want to say to you, the, the language that Paul uses here, even the finest Greek scholars say that he is using deeply um, pronounced spiritual language that tries to explain something deep and mysterious about knowing the nature of God, knowing the voice of God, understanding how God would reveal things to us. Words like comparing spirituals with spirituals is a very complex phrase to understand and when he starts talking about things like the rulers of this age nothing is nailed down so we can explicitly say this is that on every case but that said there's a there's a strand of the cross strand of the cross going all the way through it thank the lord which makes it easy to decipher as well first corinthians 2 6 to 16 is a a kind of a cul-de-sac in the letter Paul drives down it and then he's going to reverse out of it into chapter 3. But he's looking in a sense in this excursus at the wisdom of God. If we were to give it a title, we might call it God's wisdom understood. That in itself is a bit of a ridiculous title. If you think about it, God's wisdom understood. All right. Some of you got a nod from dad. Dad's dad's getting that. But in many respects, Paul is describing God's wisdom and the spiritual discernment that Christians alone benefit from by the Spirit. In these verses that I'm about to read now, Paul seems to be describing the reality of all existence from God's point of view. Paul is simply saying that there's no difference in the spiritual realm as to the physical realm. And I'll give you an example of that when I share after the reading of the scripture that maturity as it is in the physical realm, parenting and children is the example I would use, is the same too for the spiritual realm. There is something whereby Christians can be considered spiritually mature, attuned to the true nature of reality. I hope that all makes sense. Now let me read the scriptures. So bear in mind we're going to go from verse 6 as our focus, but I'm going to read the whole of chapter 2 because it flows from this. Um, First five verses. And so it was with me, brothers and sisters, when I came to you, I did not come with eloquence or human wisdom as I proclaimed to you the testimony about God. For I resolved to know nothing while I was with you except Jesus Christ and him crucified. I came to you in weakness and with great fear and trembling. My message and my preaching were not with wise and persuasive words, but with a demonstration of the Spirit's power. So that your faith may not rest in human wisdom, but in God's power. 
verse 6. We do, however, speak a message of wisdom among the mature, but not the wisdom of this age or the rulers of this age who are coming to nothing. No, we declare God's wisdom, a mystery that has been hidden and that is destined for our glory before time began. None of the rulers of this age understood it, for if they had, they wouldn't have crucified the Lord of glory. However, as it is written, what no eye has seen, what no ear has heard, and what no human mind has conceived, the things God has prepared for those who love him. These are the things God has revealed to us by his spirit. I'd love to make a side point in this. I might save myself till later. A lot of people misinterpret this eye has seen, ear has heard, mind has conceived passage and make it about heaven or some sort of deep spiritual meaning. It is not that. We'll come to that. These are the things God has revealed to us by his spirit. The spirit searches all things, even the deep things of God. For who has known the thoughts, the, the person's thoughts except their own spirit within them? In the same way, no one knows the thoughts of God except the spirit of God. What we have received is not the spirit of the world, but the spirit who is from God, so that we may understand what God has freely given us. This is what we speak, not in words taught by human wisdom, but in words taught by the spirit, explaining spiritual realities with spirit taught words. The person without the spirit doesn't accept the things that come from the spirit of God, but considers them foolishness and cannot understand them because they're discerned only through the spirit. The person with the spirit makes judgments about all things, but such a person is not subject to mere human judgments. For who has known the mind of the Lord that he might instruct him? But we have the mind of Christ. Take a drink. You know, last time I spoke, it was um, a couple of weeks ago because Glenn had his mini-series. We looked at the foolishness of God versus the wisdom of men. And today, after spending some time on that subject, we want to home in on the wisdom of God specifically and God's wisdom understood, which again is a a mysterious three-word thing that God's wisdom can be understood, but we'll understand it in this context very soon. Now, I think every parent sometime in their life, and I'm waiting for the day coming up in the not-too-distant future, for my, or somebody might be waiting to become parent, and in the not-too-distant future will hear the famous words, that's not fair. Have you ever had, those of you who've been privileged to be parents, the, the phrase, that's not fair? Kids have an innate sense of justice, whether it's stamping of the feet that comes after that or the screeching of a voice, in a teenage years or toddler years, the terrible twos or whatever it may be, sometime you might hear those words, that's not fair. Everybody's doing it, Dad, Mom. They're all on WhatsApp. They're all on Facebook. They're all on Snapchat. They're all going to the town having a beer at 16 and going to the clubs. That's not fair. All my class are doing it. Why can't I do it? It's just not fair. Even when you seem to explain as an adult in child's terms... Son, it's not for your own good. I, I want to protect you. I, I want to make sure that you're safe. This is not, even, even WhatsApp, son, say six, you must be 16. It's for your own good. Or love, daughter, whatever you say. It's, it's for your own good that mum and I made this decision. Listen to what I'm saying. It just doesn't seem to make sense to the children when they first hear that. The reasoning and the decision-making process of the adult mind That's the same for what's going on here spiritually for the Apostle Paul. He's saying that the person who understands what God is thinking is mature. 
Okay, it's the word teleos. It means the end point in Greek. It's got, it means we get to the place where finally we've got, teleos can also mean complete or mature. And, and Paul is, don't mistake this for the same as chapter three that we'll go into next time. Paul is saying he's not contrasting different levels of Christians in the room. A lot of people read this chapter and they'll think, well, the spiritually mature are the ones who somehow are open to a deeper kind of spiritual revelation because the kind of like the Gnostics were a couple of millennia ago, we're attuned to a spiritual reality that the lesser Christians can't tune into. That's not what's going on in this passage. When Paul uses the phrase mature, he labels Christians as distinct from those without the spirit. Is that clear? And he's saying that those without the spirit can't know the spirit of God's mind because they are not regenerate. They've not been changed by God. And the overarching theme of this passage, and I I find it very difficult when I'm studying this passage, I'll be honest with you. I find it really difficult because it's messing with my head and my theology, and it's okay to have your theology in pencil, about the fact that God has to act on the mind and heart of a human being for them to be open to the gospel. I find that difficult. I'll not go, I'll not go down the rabbit trail of that because it's, it would mess with your head too. But the fact that God has to move to sovereignly open a person's heart to receive the message of the cross is a mystery to me that I don't want to dabble with. Because I don't understand it. But I think for Christians who do believe, our hearts need to be warmed by the fact that God in his mercy for your life was gracious enough to operate on your heart and mind and to reveal Christ crucified to you, a sinner, to be saved by grace. It is a profound mystery, but it is also a profound Beautiful gift that God would come by his spirit and open the the heart of a man or a woman and say, Jesus died for you. I have had so many gospel conversations and trust me, I know how to present the Christian message clearly. And there are some times when I come across a person and they are what the Bible describes as a person of peace, that open hearted to the truths of the scriptures. There are other people who intellectually grasp it, but they're close to it spiritually. I've known people have incredible physical miracles and still turn down the message of the cross. Because God has to move for people to be saved. I think if God didn't have to be moved, there could be something of merit for the individual who comes into the kingdom. But it was God who sent Jesus to rescue us. But it was God who sent the Spirit to reveal Jesus. The work of the Spirit is this, the Bible says, to convict concerning sin, righteousness, and judgment. And the problem with the world we live in today is that people's minds are aligned with wise thinking of this world, even in the church. There is a proliferation of wise thinking humanistic thinking that is accepting and embracing of all lifestyles and all pathways just to create a family hug with humanity. 
It is a travesty that the church too has adopted this mentality of the world that somehow we've got to water down what is distinctly true in Scripture for the sake of our acceptance with the world. And I think in the days to come, I think there's going to be some heady years in the spirit to come, but I think in the days to come, there will be very few courageous Christians in the very last days I'm talking, who are willing to stand for their convictions and say, this is true. Jesus died for me on the cross. This lifestyle is immoral. Jesus died to save you from that. We are too confused with the battery of social media, the internet, reels on our phone, YouTube this, and we are bombarded with lies every day that tell us stuff that is different to the scriptures. And Paul the Apostle wants the true bride of Jesus to arise. He says that very clearly in Ephesians 4. He wants the church to come together in these days in a unity of spirit that can give room to the Holy Ghost to move again. It is no surprise that the devil's chief aim has been to create division in the church in this COVID landscape because he knows that the Spirit of God only alights upon that which is united together. Bible says it quite clearly, it's there the Lord commands the blessing. How good and how pleasant it is when brethren dwell together in unity, for it is there the Lord commands the blessing, even life forevermore. And whatever you have in your heart, whatever I have in my heart, whatever we harbor in our mentality, it is imperative that all of us address issues of division like Paul was doing in the church of Corinth here. This is where this is centered so that the message of the cross might bring a unity movement that births the, ne births the next move of God for the salvation of the world. I really believe God is moving. We saw it at Asprey recently in a new way. I believe the Lord desires to alight on churches and church communities. I believe the Lord is simplifying everything and bringing us to a posture where we say, I want Jesus. I want to love God with all my heart. I want to love my brothers and sisters. I want to love my enemies. I don't want to be insecure about what the world says about me as a Christian. And when I'm rejected, they don't reject me, they reject Jesus. This is what God's calling us to. I, I intentionally preach what I know the passage says rather than get lost in the intricacy of my notes. <laughs> Paul's speaking of a wisdom here for the spiritually mature, the Christian, the regenerate. What is true in the natural realm about parents and children, Paul says is true in the spirit realm for the person who needs to be mature, complete, saved. The only complete human beings on this world, I'm not talking about perfect human beings, I'm talking about restored human beings, are those who have the Spirit of God. Because Paul was quite clear, and you heard it in a previous message in this series, that Paul has a dichotomy, there are saved people, and there are lost people. There are people who are going to go to hell, and there are people who go to he are going to go to heaven. There is one of the 
side alleyways I could go to go down and say, just as William Booth, the founder of the Salvation Army, predicted, we are in those days where wisdom is trying to destroy the doctrine of hell for the sake of acceptance amongst the crowds. And as I scoffed last time, that's the sure way to get me a book deal and an audience with Oprah. If I preach, there's no hell. But there is a heaven, there is a hell. God will judge. Jesus will return to judge the living and the dead. And I tell people lovingly, whenever I have the opportunity, be saved from this corrupt generation. I won't use that language. Last week, I must have shared the gospel with eight to ten people at length. At different places. Rachel knows. From shop to shop, from walk to walk, place to place. I was even sat, I said to my dad, on the phone in the week, God's told me to go down to the field at Winstonley College. I'll, I'll, I'll have a divine appointment there. I did. I, I went, I obeyed the Lord, and I waited in the spot he told me to wait. Along, within a few minutes, the person came. And I had a divine appointment, and I had an hour sharing Jesus with this person. And it dismantled a lot of their thinking, and it, she was wide open for the Lord. Why am I telling you this? I know when I share the gospel, there are those that are open and there are those that are closed. There are those that God by his spirit has alighted upon and made a person of peace. There are those who are wise in worldly standards, accepting, they seem nice people, but the reality is they push the God gospel into a place of foolishness and irrelevance. But what have we already preached on in this, this book already? The Bible says the gospel is foolishness to who? Those who are perishing. But to us who are being saved, it is the power of God. And I meet so many people who are either in one camp or the other. Most people are on a fast speeding train to an eternity of hell. Most people are going to have an eternity separated from the life of God. It is imperative that we cling to the truths of the gospel, to a crucified son of God, as offensive as it might be, as foolishness as it might be perceived, is no less foolish now than it was in Paul's time. To the Jews, it was a stumbling block, Paul said. Because they couldn't factor this idea that in their scriptures it said, anyone who hangs on a tree is cursed. Why would God be cursed? They didn't get it. To the Greek mind, it was foolishness. Because they saw gods on Mount Olympus as powerful yet flawed beings. Why would a powerful God-man allow someone to crucify them? It didn't make sense to the intellectual people of Paul's hearing. That's why he only spent a couple of days in Athens and a year and a half in Corinth. He comes out of this falling college town in Athens, having not had much breakthrough at all. And he saw in front of him, even in Corinth, people doing their street rhetoric performances. And he said to the Corinthian church, I didn't come with a persuasive words of men's wisdom like the people you see every day, but with a demonstration of the Spirit's power. And I think we need to understand that for the context of this, that Paul is sticking to what he calls the wisdom of God. What is the wisdom of God in Paul's language? 
It is Christ crucified. A stumbling block to the Jews, foolishness to the Greeks, but Christ, the wisdom of God and the power of God that will save them. You know, part of the division in the church of Corinth was rooted in the influence of the culture around them. So, so the wisdom of the world was to adhere to particular constructs of thinking, and that was your tribe. Nothing's changed too much, really. But Paul is rebuking the Corinthians for allowing their tribal distinctives to bring separation from what Christ has united. So Paul, you'll remember from the last time, says, is Christ divided? And they're supposed to read that and say, no. He's made it, that's why I said, Tunji and Shun will always be our family. We are one church, globally. And that understanding, seeing things from God's point of view, brings us to a place where our doctrinal differences should never bring disunity. Now, later on in the epistle, he explains where heresy or Central truths are distorted. They cannot be allowed. And they must be confronted for the sake of knowing, Paul says, who is true and who is false in the faith. But my position on certain doctrines compared to yours, really, they have to be considered peripheral in certain areas. Unless we're talking about the salvation of God, through salvation of man through Jesus Christ, or the nature of the divine. Those two things are immovable. So when we say the, the, the virgin birth was not a virgin birth, like the Archbishop of York said in the 90s, I believe, and then York Min Durham, was it, sorry, beg your pardon, Durham. And was York Minster hit though as well? There was something where light, something was announced and then there was a, there's a lightning bolt came. I mean, recently in Synod, and, I, and I'm not making a disparaging comment about the Church of England. I don't like to do that. But in Synod, you had one of the archbishops rebuking another younger minister for having the audacity to stand up in Synod and say, can we cling to the fundamentals of the faith and stand up for righteousness? And the arrogance of this archbishop was, go, I, I know a book about it that you could go and read. It's called the Bible. It's a very arrogant comment. Because this kid was obviously learned and contending for what he thought was true. There are things that are fundamental, and there are things that are central, but the peripheral, which is the majority of doctrinal positions, is just conjecture, ideas, interesting, helpful, useful for a particular tribe church in a locality. Churches will be distinct from one another. For example, Elim is egalitarian. That means men and women leaders have the same level in Elim. Some of you are going to hate that, but that's the truth. It is biblically founded... And I can show you that, but it's not consistent across the church, okay? There is a difference between egalitarian ministry and complementarian ministry, which complementarian theological understanding of men and women in ministry is that men and women are equal but different in their roles and responsibilities. For me as a Christian leader, I see a difference between church leadership and marriage in terms of the male and female roles. That's my position. But it's not central to salvation, Salvation is Christ's faith and the spirit that alights upon it. 
It is a peripheral matter of ecclesiology, that how the church is governed. And we've got to get away of that which divides us from one another and, and, and stop this bickering that happens as a result of us assuming we've got the right position on things that other intelligent people have a different position on. Because when we think we are right on peripheral matters, what, and, and there's other people in another Christian tribe think they're right, it's prideful to say, but really, I'm the only one who's right. Do you see the point? There's a lot of people looking down now, but I'm telling you the truth. I always tell you the truth. The message of the cross, the deity and nature of Christ and the Godhead are untouchable. There are a few other things, but they're examples, key examples. Other things will define tribes, but they should not create division between tribes, which is why you rarely hear me criticizing leaders or movements, even when there's a lot in a leader or a movement that I don't like. You won't be able to think of any ministry where I've extensively gone, unless they're in heresy like people like Rob Bell that I alluded to earlier. When he wrote Love Wins. When, when Rob Bell wrote the book Love Wins, John Piper tweeted, farewell Rob Bell or goodbye Rob Bell because he'd left the faith he was teaching that all roads lead to Rome there was this universalism that there was no hell he was teaching heresy but I'm not I'm not I'm not a reformed theologian like like John Piper I don't stand with John Piper's theology or Wayne Grudem or even my brothers and sisters in in a reformed charismatic community people like Sam Storms in the New Frontiers International Church but I've ministered with them I'm in a, I, I led a New Frontiers church in Chester. Many of you don't even know that. But my doctrine is different to them. But I can still flow with the Holy Ghost with that church. I can still give room to other brothers and sisters. Even in this church setup, we have other people <clears throat> in leadership. Their, their theology is reformed. It's mine's not. Does it matter? Am I right? No. Are they right? I don't know. But what really matters is Jesus Christ and him crucified. And the return of the Lord Jesus Christ to judge the living and the dead. The message of the gospel is essential, important. The one thing that we should agree on. The one thing that we should come together on. And we should be mature in this. Does this make sense, church? Because you will always have within one church differences of opinion on doctrine. And when doctrine becomes a point of division and it's not essential, you've already become like the Corinthians in spirit. I'm teaching you in the fear of God what I believe to be true with all my heart. Paul, let's be clear, is not teaching the Corinthians about, as I've said earlier, a pathway to enlightenment. You know, the revelation of spiritual matters that only the adept and well-trained can get. He's talking about the cross. When you read that passage that a lot of people misquote, no eye has seen, no ear has heard, no mind has conceived what God has prepared for those who love him. I often hear it prophesied or spoken about in churches about being spiritual mysteries, kind of abstract. All heaven, what God has prepared for those who love him. Go and have a look at the passage again. It's clearly housed within the flow of thought that says the rulers of this age which can be two things, either political religious leaders or the demonic powers over that 
the world, or probably more likely, the religious leaders outside of Christ, political leaders who are driven by the demonic in the world system. That's what I believe personally about that. The rulers of this age would not have crucified the Lord of glory if they'd have known that in the wisdom of God, God meant for the saving of humanity through the death of Jesus Christ on the cross. Do you understand? And so when it, the Greek is something like an eye had not heard, an ear had not heard, a mind or a heart had not conceived. That, the cross, if they had have conceived it, they wouldn't have crucified the Lord of glory because Satan doesn't want to give Jesus the throne of the universe as a God-man. Now, clearly he was divine before that. He was eternal, but he became a man. And in Ephesians, it said he ascended that he might fill the whole universe, that his rule might pervade every bit of existence as the exalted second Adam of a new race of redeemed people. There's all sorts of secret societies in this world, all sorts of fascinations like Freemasonry, where if, I know, am I, I, if I'm at a certain level in Freemasonry, and I'm not, I'm not into that, it's a demonic Luciferian cult if you study it. Forgive me if you're into it. Uh, I'm not going to mince my words. I've done a lot of study on it. It's dark, and if you've been into it, you need to repent and turn to the Lord Jesus. At different levels, every time you go up, there's mock Christian enactments, mock communion, mock burial and baptism, mock Eucharist. There is a place whereby um, I can't apply for that level. I have to be invited to it. If I apply for that level near the top end of the 33 degrees, then somehow if I apply for it, you can't go up. You're not, you're not fit for it. Albert Pike, one of the proponents of Freemasonry, one of the great Scottish Rite Freemasons, said at the heart of Freemasonry and its rites and practices is a pursuit of the esoteric, the mysterious, and the occult patterns of the Asians. In, in, in a Masonic text for Masons. Because they worship the God of this world. They, they, their front face is monotheism, the rear face, who does the Bible describe as the God of this world? I, 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 I don't really get you on a YouTube search, but the reality is Paul is in absolute opposition to the Gnosticism of the day. Freemasonry would be an equivalent of it now in our world. You've got ministers who are Freemasons. Did you know that? Police chiefs, etc., etc., etc. Paul is opposing secret mystery religions with a straight-up presentation. The cross of Jesus Christ is God's wisdom to save the world. And when you proclaim the cross, you'll see the Spirit alight on people. And some people, their heart will be open. And other times when I'm sharing the cross, Dad was with me. I was walking the dog with Dad the other day. And I just went into a gospel conversation. Dad's seen me do it lots of times with, with somebody that I knew. And the tears were rolling down the eyes of a parent whose child was in the same year as Gillian at school. She's streaming with tears as I tell her the gospel of Jesus Christ. She was open to the Lord. The Spirit had done something in her heart. Some people, they're a closed book. And they'll 
give an account to God one day for turning from the only means of salvation. Jesus said, I am the way, the truth, the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. It's politically incorrect, but it's biblical truth. Can we have an amen from anyone? (laughs) I'm coming to land it. Spirit searches all things, even the deep things of God. For who knows the thoughts of a man except their own spirit within them? In the same way, who knows the thoughts of God except the spirit of God? Now, hagios for holy is the holy word in Greek, hagios. In its essence, it means different. In another way of explaining it, it's the otherness of God. It's the transience of a God who is so beyond our comprehension, so mighty, so holy, so powerful, that somehow he has to transmit through his spirit that which cannot be understood with a human mind. And so you'll hear these stories of evangelists preaching the gospel and people give this testimony like, I, I, I didn't want to be there. I only stayed because person X brought me. I was gagging to get out. All I could think of was having a pint after the service or whatever it is. I needed to get out as fast as I can. And I was hating the guy. I was swearing under my breath. I thought the preacher was an idiot. And you're going, like, going around like this in, in the thing and then the testimony goes, and then I found myself stood at the front weeping, giving my life to Jesus. <laughs> Maybe that was you. Isn't it amazing that the Holy Ghost can do that to people and save them? I would earnestly say to you, if you haven't given your life to the reigning Lord Jesus Christ, today is a good day to do it. Jesus, King of kings, Lord of lords, seated in heaven, high above. Every name that is named. You know, I love the scripture in Psalm 2. It says, why do the nations rage and the people plot vain things against the Lord and his anointed? That is one of the scriptures for 2023. Why is it like that? Because Christians are lost in the fascination of how hidden power structures, the hidden elites of this world are pulling the strings on global economies, World Economic Forum, Klaus Schwab, blah, blah, blah. Christians, they go off on one. They know more about conspiracy than they do about the gospel. And I want to say to you, the Bible is clear. It's so clear. It says that the the world, when it starts to make plans against Christianity and set up antichrist agendas, he who is in heaven laughs. It's like children playing in the sandpit, dreaming about taking over the world tomorrow. It's laughable. There are people who sit in power who have little red buttons to press to launch little rockets. It's not serious for the nations of the United Who think they are the power brokers of the world. And we respect them, we honour them, we pray for them. That's what the Bible teaches. But ultimately, Jesus is Lord. Jesus is Lord. Jesus is on the throne. Jesus is the king. Jesus will turn up to burn up and they will give an account to the living God. For every choice... I believe God's raising up prophetic voices in these days that will speak truth to power like Elijah did and will rebuke people in positions of authority who through their positions have cascaded on society a brokenness that has caused many people to suffer. I believe people will do this and some of them will lose their lives. I think about the two witnesses in Revelation as examples who in front of the whole world will be slaughtered on social media. Everyone will see it. 
and then they would be raised up from the dead in the public view. And that's what the scripture says. Now, we're only just in a day when that could be possible. Mike Bickle tells a story about Bob Jones, one of the Kansas City prophets who came into his office in Kansas and said, and he kind of was a weird like a lot of prophets are, and he looks over the shoulder of Mike and he says, you know, and this guy's kind of, Mike's kind of going, you know, who is this guy in a boiler suit? He says, have you been thinking about moving to the other side of Kansas? Not even looking at the senior pastor. He said, no, I haven't. This was in the 80s, by the way. And he's thinking, who's this weird, who let this person in? And he said, uh, well, you're going to move. And they were in the rich part of Kansas, all the professionals, all the rugby, like Kansas City Chiefs and all of that, all the rich people came to his church. And he was going to be moving to the agricultural part where all the hicks were, the agricultural people. And then Bob Jones says, yeah, there'll come a day when uh, homosexuals, <laughs> this is what he said, will be uh, parading in the streets and will be promoted by governments and society as the, being the, the right way to live. This is just doing this. And then he says, uh, and I also see, he's not even looking at him, I also see uh, little people on little television, not little people, people on little television, not little people, not Lilliputians. <laughs> Come on, Steve, tell the story. People with little TVs. Is it in the 1980s? And they've all got little TVs. And they're watching in the rice fields of China, your church with a worship movement that will affect the globe. Have you ever thought of doing that, Mike? He was like, no. Here is this guy. But he ended up moving. Kansas City IHOP became a prayer center. His worship went around the world. It became a movement that people watched on the, on the, on the, on the screens. Like International House of Prayer. It came true. But what did he see? He saw a time, and this is the point, when people who didn't have smartphones in the 80s would all be watching on smartphones what God was doing. Why did I make that point? Because a time come when people like the two witnesses will be seen around the world who stood up and spoke truth to power, and God will raise them up in front of the public perspective and faith. Sorry, the public viewing on social media. This is a day when we have to stand for truth. And stand for the gospel when all the world is promoting a tolerance that breeds sin and alienation from God. I think for you and me, we have, many of us, been, I'm kind of 40 years plus in the church. We've started to take for granted that which is supremely powerful. We, we go through the motions in communion settings. We see this cross in the corner and it's just there and we thank God occasionally for dying for us. But we forget the spiritual mystery that's hidden in the cross of Christ that separated us from all other human beings to enter into a new kind of human race of which Jesus was the firstborn which all the spiritual world knows about, but few Christians entertain, that you became a child of God through, through your faith in Christ Jesus. The Bible says, anyone who received him to those who believed in his name, he gave them the power to become children of God. And the message of the cross brought you into something that isn't just a church. It's a spiritual movement of God-loving, God-transformed, Human beings who will have their doctrinal differences, who will have the different ways of doing things, but can all cling centrally 
to the fact that Jesus died for the sins of the world, was buried, rose from the dead, and is coming again to judge the living and the dead. And we have to cling to that in these days, unlike any other time you've ever been alive. Because I believe even with the moves of the Spirit that are coming, I believe there'll be such a kickback on the church that it, again, it'll sort out the chaff from the wheat. The enemy will not like what God is about to do on the earth. I don't, I don't believe it's going to be immediate, the sense of the heavy persecution of the church, but I believe we're heading inexorably towards dangerous times to be a believer. And then the end will come. And then all postulation of ideas, all ministry opportunities, that, that, that'll be up. My son, when he was about six, had a dream and he saw himself as a late teens preaching the gospel with other people in his teen years. And he said, I was on the streets. It was a really dangerous city, but we weren't afraid. Telling me this as a young kid. He said, and in this dark city where the Lord was with us, but it was really evil, dad. A kid saying this. He said, then appeared in the sky, game over. And he said, and then I knew God was communicating to me that his return had brought closure to everything of world events. Now, read into that whatever you will. But since then, he's had so many dreams that have eschatological significance straight out of the book of Revelation, having not been well-versed in Revelation. More recently, he started a habit of praying every night and worshipping for a good hour. And he, we came in the other day and found him kind of emotional and tears. He, and mum said, what are you doing? He said, I'm praying for Turkey and Syria. Weeping, praying for Turkey and Syria. But in this pursuit of the Lord, he started to hear more and more from the Lord. And I, I really believe in children being able to hear quite sensitively to the voice of the Holy Spirit. And all of his warnings are about the urgency of the hour, the need to preach the gospel to all the world. And the soon and coming reign of the Lord Jesus Christ over all the nations. You wonder why it's been tough recently. I'm telling you, everyone in the spirit realm knows that our message of the cross is the most important thing in human history. It's the most important thing that we should cling to. It's how we should expend and spend our lives, not just peddling a message alongside other messages, but say to the world, be saved from this corrupt and perverse generation and come into the embrace of an eternal fathering like you've never known and enjoy the Lord day in, day out and be saved. We, we, we are Christian people who are unashamed of the gospel. And some of us may even have to give our lives for the Lord in the years to come. I don't know. The Lord's not shown me that. But that should be the love we have in our heart for Jesus, that he is our everything, that we'd rather have him than anything and that he is worth our lives if it so be Danes to take it. Apologies, we've gone a little bit over, um, 10 minutes or so. Let me just pray. Father, we thank you for the message of the cross of Jesus Christ. May we cling to the old rugged cross. May we share the old rugged cross in a way that is attractive and intelligible so that people will understand its truth and be saved. And Father, I pray for everyone who believes this message of the cross of Jesus, that they would be able to share it and see the Holy Spirit alighting on lives and bringing them into your embrace. I pray that however woodenly we all share the truths of Jesus dying for the sins of the world, Lord, that people would come in and be saved. Amen.